Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. Somewhere in sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs. And what rough beast its hour come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Good luck to you, Mr. Redman. Thank you, General. Everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Ben. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the CBS All Access miniseries, The Stand. This week we are covering episode one, The End. Funny title for the premiere episode. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and unfortunately, with some of the people I've talked to, it might also be what it is for them watching this show. Ooh, um, right? Which I, I think they're jumping the gun a little bit, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. We are going to get into that. Um, yeah, I, I I have some thoughts. So, yeah, and I, I read a lot of um, differing opinions on this for sure. So we're, we're probably in agreement with that. But just in general, um, without going into too many details, because we will talk about those details um, in our discussion and in our top three. Um, did you have just general thoughts about the show? Like, you you liked it? You didn't like it? You're mixed? I'm uh, I, I enjoyed it. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I enjoyed cool. it. I, no, it's good. <laughs> so what about you? I also enjoyed it. Okay. I mean, I I thought it was a fun ride. It it um, has it has some moments where it could it could use some work. Yeah. But for the most part, I enjoyed it. I don't know if that necessarily is because we are two people who have never read the book. Maybe. Uh, I don't know if it's because the original miniseries is fresh in our minds, so we're familiar mm-hmm. with the story already. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly what it is, the reasoning why I enjoyed it like I did. But like I do anything that's an adaptation of a book, I try my best to separate from book to adaptation. Same. That's not always possible for some people. Some people just can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be where some people are struggling with this series. Uh, but again, it's only the first episode. There are eight more episodes left to go. Exactly. Exactly. So 
I wouldn't write this series off just yet. Um, stick with it. That's that's going to be that that's that's my first impression with the series. I enjoyed it. I hope people stick with it. I yeah, I'm I'm the same. I like it so far. It's you know hard to judge too much because it is only the first episode. Mm-hmm. You know, we we've only met a couple of characters. We've only gotten so far in the story. There's so much more to explore. Um I think it would be a mistake for for folks that either enjoyed the older miniseries or uh are book fans to maybe just give up on it already um like you said so um i don't know i'm i'm definitely in for it though i'm i think it was um i think there was you know a couple of good interesting characters you know we got i think a few got to know a few more than what we didn't get to see maybe in the in the original um that we discussed last week so i i liked it i'm along for the ride yeah and I and I did my research, you know. After watching it, I, I watched it multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've watched it first as a fan, as I know you do, just to kind of see if you enjoy it as as a viewer, and then yes. you go into the analytics of it within your second and third watch. Um, you know, I looked at I looked online at comparisons from book to show to see what the differences were so I could understand them a little bit better, kind yes. of understand why some people might not like the series so far. And even in reading the differences from book to series, I understand why the series did what it did. Mm-hmm. And I it didn't disappoint me knowing the differences. If that Good. makes sense. It does make sense. I, I'm feeling that. Um, well, good, good. It seems like we're we're pretty much on the same page, so that's good um, for now. <laughs> for now, for now, and it's okay if we're not. I just I always like to say yeah. it's it's. I think sometimes disagreements can be interesting, and it, we don't always have to agree. So this isn't like a you know we always have to you know agree on all the same opinions. I'm sure we're gonna have differing opinions as we t- even talk about this episode or or other episodes, um, and that's fine. But at least for now, it seems like we are on the same page. So I'm I'm excited to to start talking about this one um and and we are going to do a top three just for our listeners i know we typically do a top five but we thought um with this one we might shorten it just a little bit so we're going to do a top three i'm sure we're going to have lots of notes and other discussion points to talk about as well so just so um our listeners kind of know we're still keeping the same format um but we're gonna um uh, change it up just a little bit um so ben as my special guest uh co-host um would you like to start us off tonight with your number three sure uh my number three is something uh i predicted was going to happen when we talked about the miniseries <laughs> okay <laughs> which you probably already know where i'm going with this um you might not i don't know but i i predicted something was going to happen when we talked about the miniseries and we were looking ahead at this series we were looking at the cast that had already been revealed and mm-hmm. I had mentioned that I, I I would not be surprised if we see some people pop up that we were not expecting to pop up. And we got that. Episode one, we got that with the appearance of J.K. Simmons. Oh, uh, wasn't that great? It was it was wonderful because I love J.K. Simmons so mm-hmm. much. Like everything that he does from, you know, J. Jonah Jameson and Spider-Man to Whiplash to just Anything that he does, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his. Same. And and when we get that scene with Stu at the research facility and we hear that voice come over the intercom, the moment I heard that voice, I'm like, <laughs> I know that voice. Like, I, I absolutely know that voice. 
And then when Stu heads up to the elevator and we see a man standing there, like facing the monitors, I'm like, that's J.K. Simmons. I know it's J.K. Simmons. And he turns around. Lo and behold, it's J.K. Simmons playing the role that Ed Harris played in the original miniseries of General Starkey. So I, I thought it was a great addition to see a familiar face such as his pop up. Yes. In this miniseries, especially in a role like that. I mean, you take you look at the comparison from the 94 miniseries to now. We had talked about how Ed Harris was already an established actor. He mm-hmm. was uncredited in the 94 miniseries. They got him to play this role, if only for one of the four episodes. And then it's kind of very similar in this sense. They got yes. a big, well-known, established actor to play this role. Um, he is credited, but it is a cameo. Like, it was kept under wraps that he was even going to be a part of this. Right. It's one scene, but he pulled it off, and they kept it quiet. So, yeah, I thought that was a great, uh, a great little one, I I guess a loose nod to the 94 miniseries in the way they they cast the character. But at the same time, I, I liked seeing another familiar face pop up that we weren't expecting. Yes, I agree. I think I think the familiarity of J.K. Simmons um, being such a, a high profile um, actor, I, I think he's great in everything that he he does. You've mentioned him in in many great things, and he's just he's great. He's an Oscar winning actor, uh, very well deserved. Um, and and even though he got credit for for the role, it was like you said kept under wraps you know no one you know as i'm doing reading in you know some of the characters and who we can expect to see i certainly did not see his name pop up so it was still a nice surprise um and i think it 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 was appropriate like you said um considering he was playing the same character as ed harris in the original 1994 version i think that was a nice kind of little tie and um i think that's how they were helping kind of bridge you know, those together. It wasn't just, um, you know, like an unknown actor, maybe someone that wasn't as well known. Um, and of course he's just great. You know, when he reads that, that poem, um, from, from so good, so impactful. Oh, it was Yates, not Keating. For some reason I kept thinking Keating, (laughs) but yeah, you're right. It's Yates. Yeah. Yeah. Which was interesting because, um, the, the piece that he is reading is called the second coming, which mm-hmm. Stephen King used to, to foreshadow the arrival of Randall Flagg. Mm-hmm. So yep. nice. One little... of, one of just, uh, a couple Stephen King references in this episode, which <laughs> yes. I'm sure we'll, I'll, we'll I'll get to later. I'll be, I'll be quiet. I, I'm, I'm no, probably going no, no. too it's, far, but we were talking totally about. It's totally fine if you bring it up yeah. now. There are others that yes. we're going to bring up. So We are going to talk about. You can't have any type of uh, work from Stephen King that we cover. And we've done this throughout all the uh, shows that we've covered. Everything from Castle Rock to Gerald's Game, you know, to so many, um, you know, any other um, pieces from Stephen King are Easter eggs and little tie-ins to the Stephen yep. King universe. So absolutely, we're definitely going to talk about it here. But that's, Oh, this, that's this episode thing. is no exception to that. There absolutely. Are, there are a number of them <laughs> in this episode, and I yeah. hope some people picked up on some, and there are some that uh, people may have missed. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to bringing out. them up. Yeah. And, and I did read, however, too, um, Stephen King has been confirmed to be playing a cameo in this series at some <gasps> point. I hadn't read that yet. So it's it's going to be interesting to we're going to start up um, King Watch, and it's just oh, a matter right. we're just we're going to keep our eyes open for when we see him pop up. He's going to play Bobby Terry. No. Oh God! How <laughs> weird! How funny would it be if he's the same character he was 
in the miniseries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Oh my gosh. I'm excited. I was wondering if he was going to do that. I Everything that I had read was still kind of questioning. Like I said, I was trying to be careful about what I was reading. I know that, I mean, the stand is the stand. There's, mm-hmm. you know, only so much, you know, that they're going to do with the story. I, I think, you know, it, it is what it is. But still, I was like, well, I don't want to go go into it too far. And everyone was still kind of wondering if he was going to make an appearance. So it's good to hear that yeah. now we're on King Watch. <laughs> it, it, it was just confirmed that he's making a cameo. It didn't reveal where the cameo falls or, or what it is. It's just that he will be indeed making a cameo. And it, it, there's a possibility it might not be until that coda that he wrote, you it know, in episode be. nine. It might we're be. just going to have to wait and see and keep our eyes peeled. Yeah, and and with his cameos, you don't know how big or small it could be. It could be a real small little uh, one-liner kind of episode, and and you see him, and he might have a line, and and then that's it. Or he could, you know, have be in a couple of episodes, like he was in the original yep. ninety-four miniseries. So that's awesome. Oh, yep. I was hoping he would be <laughs> make my day. Um, well, that's awesome. Did you have more more people that you wanted to add along with J.K. Simmons um, for your number um, three? No, not really. I okay. I just wanted to make note of the cameo, um, my and my prediction being correct. I'm just kind of tooting my own horn there a little bit. Um, and you know what? I'm going to predict we're not done either. I, I think we've got eight more episodes left. They already threw a cameo our way in the first episode. Mm-hmm. I think we're bound to see another cameo or two before this, uh, before this series wraps up. Well, I have one to add. An- another cameo? Yes. Did I missed? Well. I guess apparently I did. If, if, <laughs> if, if you're bringing this up, but it was go for um, it. not seen but heard. Ooh, it was a voice. In- interesting. Uh huh. Um, where? Let me see if I can guess where about it was. Twenty minutes in, I think it was about twenty minutes in. Was it the voice on the radio of um, <laughs> during the radio show that Harold is listening to? No. Okay. Then I don't know. I, I'm I'm <laughs> oddly curious. The voice of the president as oh. Franny is listening okay. uh, to the broadcast as the president is talking about, you know, the pandemic and how he is denying any government involvement in the um creation of, of Captain Tripps. As he's um, coughing. As he's coughing. Mm-hmm. Um as he is, yes, coming down with the flu himself was none other than Brian Cranston. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. That's oh a my good God. cameo. Oh my God. I, I can't believe died. I missed that. I mean, it, it took it took me um a hot minute, but I was like, oh my gosh, that voice. That is Walter White, people. <laughs> that is Walter White. Brian Cranston, yes, they got and, and it was confirmed. Um there was a CBS All Access representative in case people are are chat you know, are are curious or, or unsure. Um it was Brian Cranston. Yeah, I'm looking um, at it right I'm looking at it right now. There's a bunch of articles right now. The huge star that voices the president on the stand is Brian Cranston. Yeah, I had to look it up to be sure because I thought, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm. It's just wishful thinking or something. Like I, and I mean, I love Brian Cranston. I think he's fabulous. I mean, I've loved him in everything. I mean, Malcolm in the Middle, my God, you know, was was just absolutely (laughs) genius. Um, And then, of course, I am like the biggest Breaking Bad fan in the world. Uh, I've I've rewatched that series. I can't tell you how many times. So. Big, big Brian Cranston fan, and when I heard his voice, I just thought no, because um, it sometimes takes me a minute. You know, look at you know, um, 
you can hear a familiar voice on the radio and it just for some reason if I, it, it just sometimes i have a hard time connecting that voice but this one that one got me and i had to look it up to be sure to confirm it cuz i thought no you're you're on glue um, <laughs> but no so, ne- so yeah that was cool huh that's awesome that you picked up on that cuz i didn't even I, I listened to the president speak, but I didn't pay attention to the voice. I just, I was like, okay, this president's dying, like as he's as he's denying everything that's happening, uh, and a little too I, familiar. I never picked up. Oh yeah, don't <laughs> even get me started on that. <laughs> Probably edit that. Out. Oh man, as we as we talked about how how oddly. An eerie, realistic the ninety four miniseries was. Uh, this is even more eerie because mm-hmm. this is this is hitting home right now. It is, it is, and um, it, and if you don't have anything else to say about about your number three, I'm going to go ahead and jump into mine because I think some of my questions that I have about this uh, in my number three is, I think kind of I'm curious if you think it's related. Oh, go for it. So my number three is um, I wanted to just kind of mention, because I think this is uh, one of the things about the show that some some folks are having a hard time with. And I understand. I understand that um, is the format Mm -hmm. of of the show. They've decided they've taken an interesting turn with the content of the show and they've decided to do some time jumping. And I know some some folks were, you know, felt it was kind of confusing um, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on why they might have decided to do this. I mean, and it's, I mean, I don't expect you really to have an answer. I'm just more curious what your opinion is or what you think, um, so far as, you know, what do you think of, of the way they've decided to kind of splice things up a little bit? Um, and if you found it confusing and do you think that I'm going to throw a lot of questions out here, do you think That's that fine. you <laughs> have to have read the book or watched the 94 series in order to kind of follow what's, what's happening? So I mean, so I'm glad you brought this up because this is actually my number two. Oh, um, oh, sorry. No, no, it's totally fine because I have a lot of notes <laughs> on this one. Like my number three was a quick mention. My number one is is kind of a shorter one. My number two is actually probably the longest conversation. Okay. That that we'll have of it because I do have a bunch of notes in regards to this, but I simply. I my, I have my number two listed, and then I have a bunch of subnotes um, that go with it. But I, I simply have it listed as character progression over story progression, um, nonlinear format, because mm-hmm. that's exactly what this is. It's yep. a nonlinear format. Um, but because this is your number three and my number two, I'm I'm I want to send it back to you because I want to hear what your thoughts are, and then I'll kind of tack on afterwards with with what my thoughts are since it's my number two okay well i i was trying to think about like okay so is was this hard to watch when i when i when i started it i was like oh okay so the, we're, we're jumping around a little bit i'm like okay so i i get it i see what's happening here i myself personally didn't find it too confusing but i don't know if that's because now I, and again like we talked about last week you and I did not read the book, so we don't have the book to fall on. But we are fans and, and have just recently watched the 94 version. So we at least have the story, uh, that story to kind of fall back on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, just having having that, I didn't feel like it was really too confusing um, to, to follow, just in my opinion. I don't know if it helps to have read the book or if you need to watch the other series or if it's just easier to not have any of that knowledge. Maybe you're new to The Stand or new to Stephen King. Um, I, I, I was okay with it. And I was curious if, 
I thought, well, why do they they choose to do this? And and some people were saying that they didn't like it because they felt it was too rushed. Like they thought the best part of the book was when Stephen King took his time to go through the whole pandemic, watching the whole world end. And we got a lot of that in the 94 series. Like that's how it started, you mm. know, um, was, you know, everybody is is sick and and dying and you see all the dead bodies everywhere and you kind of get that whole ominous uh feeling you get that build up of how dire the whole situation really is and i wondered if i don't i don't know because i haven't read any news or anything yet from the showrunners or the writers to see what their decision was or why they landed on on this nonlinear format I'm curious if um, maybe because some of this, as you just mentioned when we were talking a little a little bit ago, if this did hit a little too close to home, and was a decision made that you know we're we're going to still show some things. Like I still felt like it, it made an impact. I mean, they're showing these dumpster trucks full of dead bodies, mm-hmm. and they're dumping them. You know, it, they're not just burying them. I mean, it, they're they're almost like mass graves. And I don't know if they were burning them or, or throwing dirt on top of them like mass graves. But, you know, it's it's kind of harsh. And it looked, you know, like this very wide landscape that they're in. It was almost like a landfill of, you know, dead bodies. And I thought, well, that's, I think, kind of showing the situation for what it is. They go into that church very much like they did in the 94 miniseries, you know, with the dead bodies and they're having to clear it out. Um, I mean, I don't know. It kind of hit home for me a little bit, but I wondered if they were deciding to, if they if they pulled back when they, you know, because they've already shot it. They stopped in, or they were wrapped in March. Um, so they've had, you know, from that time until uh, when it was released last week to edit it and have it out and ready to go. So I'm curious if they made if that had something to do with it. Like, were they afraid if they went as far as what they did in the '94 miniseries, or went as far as they did in the book, would it turn people off? Like, are they pandemic fatigued? (laughs) You know, is it too much? I don't know. I mean, so here's my here's my take on the on the format itself. Um, Not getting any, not diving really deeper into many of my notes, but when it comes to character progression over story progression, I honestly think when you look at the formats of the 94 miniseries to this new current miniseries you had mm-hmm. four episodes in two hour chunks so you, or hour and a half minus commercials mm-hmm. so you had four episodes over a course of four days five days because they took the wednesday off as we discovered so but oh, still over the course of one week you told a six hour long story mm-hmm. in one and a half hour long blocks to now you have a nine-hour story that you're telling over nine weeks. When you look at the two formats of that, I think the non-linear works better than the linear progression. Um, More for character development, but also for the telling of the story at the same time. Mm -hmm. If you follow the linear progression, I mean, the first couple chapters of, of King's book, of King's novel you're meeting all these characters right away in the beginning. It's it's changing POV to POV to POV. Mm-hmm. If you look at that and you try to do that in, you know, in this linear f- format, when you had hour and a half block, you had more time to tell the story of each individual character as you're meeting them. 
Right. You don't have that this time. You have to focus particular characters on particular episodes. Mm -hmm. You can't introduce... There are so many characters to this story, you can't introduce them all in the first episode. They're only going to get two to three minutes of screen time. That's not enough time to dive into their story. Right. So already from the start, even if you're telling a linear progression, you still have to split up all the time you're spending with the characters. There's no way to introduce them all in the first episode. Right. It's impossible. Well, you lose their backgrounds when you do that. Right. And and you you have to sometimes progress characters a little bit faster in TV than what you can do in a book. You know, mm-hmm. you have to kind of get them somewhere just a little bit quicker. And you don't have a thousand pages per character to develop that character and get all of that backstory and get all of that information that you need um, like King does. I mean, the stand is like the like his what his biggest or second biggest freaking book um or at least the unabridged version anyway so yeah 1100 pages there's no way that you're you're ever going to really satisfy everything that's in that book and be able to spend the time that that stephen king does to developing Mm -hmm. each character um so you know i think there were some you know disagreements about how some of the characters were handled and but i was like well if you really think about it sometimes it just might make sense on how you get that person from point a to point b in their in their character in this one episode because we don't have a thousand pages or we don't have you know um you know a whole 24 episode series to tell these stories we have nine episodes yeah um to, to get this done in so i i think it fits as well I mean, just, well, I mean, just for me, I'm okay. And, and I am too. I'm absolutely okay with it because I, I guarantee you right now we have nine episodes. The first four are, we're not going to meet all the characters. Mm-hmm. Pro- we're not, we're not going to have met every character probably until episode five. Right. Yeah. I, it's going to take that many episodes to introduce and tell a little bit of their backstory. It It's going to take that time to introduce all these characters. I agree. So it, it made sense to me to f- put the focus on Harold, Franny, and Stu in this episode. Mm-hmm. Next episode, we're getting Larry, which means we're probably getting Rita because mm-hmm. they travel together. Right. And most likely, we're probably getting Nadine at the same time. Right. So we're going to get another chunk of backstory. When it comes to... I mean, so that's one thing, that you have to do that with character progression. The reason why I think the nonlinear works over the linear with this with this series and the way they're telling this story is if you are breaking up these episodes, taking these first four or five episodes and introducing these characters, you know, piece by piece by piece. If you do that in a linear format, by the time you get to episode five, you have completely forgotten or almost completely forgotten or neglected the characters you met in episode one. So right. if you, so, and you, and by that point, you might have even lost interest in the story that by this point, you don't even care what's going to happen to these people. So you have to tease what the future holds for these characters while you're telling their backstories mm-hmm. because it's keeping people interested. Especially right. for people who have never read the book, never seen the original miniseries. This is a first viewing for them. You have to find a way to keep people's interest. Exactly. Harold is a major, he is used majorly with this. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of going to dive into my number two when I talk about the development, the character over story. The way they set up Harold 
the way they did this. When you watch the miniseries, he comes off kind of stalkerish. Not even stalkerish. <laughs> he's he's just like obsessive. Little, little little creepy vibe, just a little yes. bit. Yeah. The way they set him up with this, he feels much more dangerous. Oh yes. Than he did in the miniseries. Absolutely. And when you look at you know the backstory of him, his family, you know what he went through with his family, meeting Fran or knowing Franny and the relationship he has with Franny, and then looking to the present day of the Boulder Free Zone, you know, and everything that goes on, there are two opposite ends of the spectrum. He's obsessed with Franny, feeling a little bit dangerous because of the life that he's stuck in, mm-hmm. but he comes across as the hero. In, for, to himself, he comes across as the hero because he's rescuing Franny from this world. Yes, he definitely and sees himself as as an unlikely hero. Exactly. Yeah. But then you look at the Boulder Free Zone, Harold, and he is somebody who is um, he is welcome. He's he's looked at almost heroic because he saves that one guy's life. Um, you hear him typing out what you think is a story and ends up being a manifesto because you get that twist at the end that he comes back and after seeing Stu and Franny together, comes back and says that he's going to kill Stu Redman and possibly even Franny. Yeah. So you see these two opposite Harolds not knowing what happens in the middle is what keeps people interested. Yes. So that is why when it comes to the way they're telling this story, I think there's no other way to tell it than nonlinear. I think I, you have to tell it nonlinear. I agree. And I, I mean, I, I think that even though they've, they've chosen this nonlinear format, it still, you know, is familiar enough um, and stays loyal. Um, it's just presenting it, I think, in a new way. Um, just how they're kind of playing with time a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're just kind of splicing some of those things and you know playing them um in flashbacks you know when when we've got campion you know from you know leaving the government facility where that was in the beginning you know of of the series where this ends up being at the end and you know how they've kind of moved things around a little bit i feel like they're still being loyal but just trying to introduce it in a new way and i think you're right. It, it's it's necessary in this instance and in, in how they've decided to. This is not a miniseries event like they used to have in the old days when they had all these miniseries events, you know, night after night. They're doing it weekly. Uh, and, and to me, it just makes makes the most sense. So mm-hmm. I'm actually OK with it. And I hope that it didn't turn too many people off. I hope that, you know, if they didn't like it, then that's OK. Watch the second, watch the third. I think that as we get, like you said, four or five episodes in, it's all going to start coming together. And maybe they won't do that anymore. Who knows? Maybe it will be more of a linear story after a certain point. Who knows? Maybe, and that's- you know. And that's actually my thoughts on it, too. too. I think the nonlinear is basically just to get the character introductions mm-hmm. um, while still introducing us to the Boulder Free Zone and right. everything that they're doing, uh, introducing us to Randall Flagg, the separation of Boulder, of, of Boulder Free Zone to Las Vegas. They're kind of giving us both sides of that story up until a point. And then once they hit a certain point where we've met all the characters, we know what's happening then it's going to be a linear progression until the end. Right. I th- so. that's, that's my thoughts on it, too. Yeah, Well, good, exactly. good. I'm glad that we had kind of similar thoughts on that, because uh, I know that there were some, some that had 
mixed feelings or just didn't like it at all. And I just I hope that they don't just dump it and at least try to stick it out because I think it's hard to judge a show from just one episode and especially something like this. I I I think it's worth sticking around for. So yeah, and and just to just to tack on to my number two as well with with that whole discussion. You know, I mentioned how everything that happens in the middle with Harold is what's going to keep people interested in coming back to find out what happened. Mm-hmm. Franny is another example of that. Mm-hmm. Because we see Franny basically attempting suicide right. to a Franny who is pregnant and happy and, you know, enjoying life. So what happened in the middle to make her make this transformation? Yeah. And I know a big complaint that some people... I know that one one or two people had was Franny's suicide attempt mm-hmm. because it is something that's not in the book. Right. But when, to me, like, I, again, this is a new way of telling an old story by Stephen King. Mm-hmm. There's going to be changes. I actually think that suicide attempt from Franny brought a little, it, it humanized her and it even brought in a little relate relatability to her character mm-hmm. because she is a character who, who lost her brother. She lost her mother. She now left her father or she's now, she now lost her father. She's, she's stuck in this world with somebody she doesn't exactly get along with. <laughs> right. Okay. Who, who, who wouldn't put themselves in that same situation? Mm-hmm. Like who wouldn't think of ending their own life? Right. Because you're 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 isolated. So the fact that you put in that suicide attempt, I I think humanizes her much more than we ever got out of the Molly Ringwald version. I I agree. And I think also that that was one way for them to. And I don't know that we'll see it just yet, but I think it's a way that made uh, Franny kind of see that like because Harold saves her and at first she's not like really grateful for it but I think that is what they use the suicide attempt to kind of make her almost loyal to Harold like kind of stick up for him or you know well he's a good guy or you know that she's gonna like try to rationalize things maybe things that he does or maybe rationalize his behavior at first you know as because I mean we know how how Harold kind of turns out and and you know so it, it's not a mystery so I don't feel like it's really hopefully I don't feel too spoilery or anything to say that but maybe to kind of give him more of the benefit of the doubt I think um because of what he did for her so I think that was a way to kind of push us um in that way with the short time that we have to, to tell the stories and, and give some of that. Um, I think this was one way to do it because she, she doesn't care that much for him. She's, you know, yeah. a little hostile towards him. And the last time that, you know, they speak to each other before she has her suicide attempt, you know, she is kind of yelling at him, you know, like I'm not your babysitter anymore, you know, and just doesn't want to really have anything to do with him. And so I think that this was a way to kind of, you know, make a little bit more sense of that. She, she pushes him away so they you're right you're absolutely right they needed something to connect them mm-hmm. and him rescuing her from that suicide attempt was exactly the thing yeah yep so there were multiple reasons for that suicide attempt i think so but i agree i think so yeah so cool. that kind of that kind of tied your number three kind of tied into my number two so what about you what's your your number two 
I wanted to talk a little bit about, and we have already, about some of the characters that we met. Because, you know, the, this is a going to be a really big cast. There are a lot of characters that we have yet to meet. So it seems, uh, like you mentioned, we're going to get, you know, introduced to a couple of characters or a handful of characters as as we move along in the story. So in this episode, we got to got to meet Stu because he's a big mm-hmm. big character. I'm curious, what did you think? So we talked a little bit about him in our conversation last week about the choice of James Marsden for Stu. What do you think of him so far? What's your first impression of him playing um, this character? Because I know Stu Redman's a big character for you. He is. So he is. So my, my first impression is I like James Marsden, and I actually think he did a really good job portraying Stu. I do too. But there are definitely some changes to the character and differences to the way his character is portrayed as mm-hmm. opposed to the 94 version. Uh, you know, Gary Sinise's Stu Redman was a little more <laughs> volatile. Mm-hmm. He, he was kind of going against everything they wanted to do, whereas, you know, James Marsden's version of Stu, he's... He, you know, he is um, he's he's a little bit more docile. He's going along with the tests if they feel the net tests need to be done. He's going along with it. With Harold and Franny, they were character development. Stu in this episode to me felt like he was more just there to progress the story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're going to get more Stu character progression later. I hope I think so. I think Harold and Franny were the character progression. Stu was the story progression. He was there pretty much to introduce uh, Captain Trips, to show what was happening in the world, to Mm -hmm. show how truly dangerous this virus really is, to introduce us to the fact that people are immune to it. He was there more for story progression. But what we got out of him, I did still enjoy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, seeing him, even though he was more docile, the moments he was being a hard ass, I thought were a lot of fun when he's in that truck and they toss him the hood and he's like, I don't know, this looks kind of like one of those hoods you throw over your head. Like he's absolutely being a sarcastic hard ass in that moment. Yeah. Knowing full well what they want him to do, but he's kind of fighting it a little bit. Yeah. So that's, I mean, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I'm not opposed to his version of Stu Redman. It's different, but I'm enjoying it so far. Good, good. I, I enjoyed him as well. Um, if you had asked me pre-Westworld what I thought of uh, James Marsden taking yeah. on this role, I, I probably would have had more doubt. But um, And I know there's a lot of folks out there that don't care much for Westworld or the story, and, and that's okay. But season one of Westworld, for me, just really stands out. And I really liked his portrayal of Teddy um, in, in that show. And so seeing him in that role really kind of help bring me around to like oh wow hey he can he's not just a pretty face i think james marsden just too pretty um you know uh, in my opinion so it's sometimes um you know I, I i'm glad i'm just grateful i guess for the role that he had in westworld that kind of said oh he's not just a pretty face he he's got some acting chops as well, well so and you brought and you brought that up last week you you reminded me that he was in westworld mm-hmm. so i i think you i think had you not reminded me of that <laughs> i might have been a little bit more close-minded to his portrayal of Stu, but because you brought it up i went into it a little more open-minded and i oh, and i did end well. up enjoying it Good, good. Uh, I'm glad, glad I could do that because I want to try and, you know, I, 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 it's hard sometimes. I have to remind myself sometimes like, hey, keep an open mind. Stop. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's like what I'm going to try and do with Amber Heard as Nadine when <laughs> when we finally meet her, uh, because I'm not a very big Amber Heard fan. So I'm going to have to really just depart what? myself a little bit from that. And yeah, just 
kind of take it, uh, uh, you know, just look at the character and just not think about the person that is playing the character. But but yeah, I, I enjoyed James Marsden. I liked I liked um, his version so far of, of Stu. Um, and I, I, I think he was really great in this episode. Um, and then Franny, I don't know the actress. Uh, I'm not familiar with her either. Yeah, I'm not very familiar with her. I don't know. It, it's hard for me to compare anything else that she's done because I don't know anything else that she's done but you know I think I like her version of Franny better than Molly Ringwald's to be honest I don't know if I'm going to get like smacked for that from someone or or not (laughs) but because I know that there are a lot of people that are really they see that 94 version is very it's very you know uh, it's just very meaningful for them and and those characters are beloved and I get that it's not anything as Molly Ringwald I love Molly Ringwald grew up you know watching her movies you know and the whole Brat Pack and stuff but I just didn't really love her portrayal of Franny but I don't know I think I liked hers a little bit better I'm, I'm with you um Odessa Young is the actress's name um she's Thank an you. Australian actress okay I'm I, I did like her portrayal of of Franny a little bit better and I think it is because as I mentioned earlier I, I her version of Franny felt more relatable. It did, yeah. Than it did for me. Molly Ringwald's. Uh, it just Molly Ringwald's like with, with Molly Ringwald's version. I, again, I like Molly Ringwald. I like you. I like the you know Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles. Absolutely, like, she's fantastic. Um, I I think it was just a matter of the story for Franny wasn't written well enough in the 94 miniseries. Mm-hmm. You know, we got the death of her father. We saw her kind of choked up about it a little bit, you know, and then there was the interactions with Harold in the 94. In this one, her portrayal came out to the, like so well mm-hmm. to the point that when she did the suicide attempt, I completely understood why. Absolutely. Like when, when she was looking at her father's bloated body on the bed and mm. she couldn't move him and and such, like she just felt so numb to everything that was going on that I completely understood her blight and why she attempted suicide. Absolutely. Absolutely. Her, her character, the portrayal of, and I know people are going to disagree with this, but I think her portrayal of Franny, you're right, is just better than what we've seen before. Cool. Well, yeah. E- I, I, even if it's different from the book. Right, right. Yeah, and, and again, can't can't use the book as a reference since uh I hadn't hadn't read the book. So I don't I don't know as as far as like what book readers um think. But and, and like I said, nothing against Molly Ringwell because she's she's fantastic. I just don't know that I, I loved it as much or if I felt maybe as like watching her as a character, I'm like, I just don't didn't feel like a connection, I guess, with, with Molly Ringwald as as Franny so much. So it was kind of hard for me but I, I felt a little bit more of a connection with with hers with Odessa Young's and I, I think she's done a good job so I, I look forward to seeing her in the rest of the series as well and seeing um, you know hopefully we'll get more of her and Harold's journey which I think that we will I think that how they're telling the story we're probably going to get get some of that so um, I look forward to that so I, I just I feel like these characters I'm able to relate to just a little bit more and and then of course Harold we've talked a lot about Harold he, he's definitely such a big part of the story and so pivotal uh, pivotal to the story um, and I mean I feel like what they did with him in this version of the stand this reboot how they've kind of updated him for this modern age I mean feels pretty legit 
Um, You know, something about when he's got those shiny black boots, that Hawaiian shirt, his fictional, in quotations, manifesto, seems very relevant to this world today. Um, Well, like like I said, they make him feel so much more dangerous than he ever felt in the 94 miniseries. Yeah. It it was chilling. I felt his his portrayal from the very beginning and there at the very end. He, I mean, he kind of gave me chills. And I mean, he's angry. He's disillusioned. He's hanging on to his hate and pride, which, like I said, very fitting to kind of what's happening, you know, in into the world today. And like you said, you get like an instant kind of danger. Um, here with Harold. And I think some people had a problem with that because I guess there's a bit more of a transformation of Harold in the books and, you know, how he starts out uh, when you're introduced to him in the books versus how, where he kind of goes through this transformation and where, how, where and how he ends up in, in the story. But I mean, I think it was a really great representation of toxic masculinity as mm-hmm. he's listening to this conspiracy radio he's typing in his dark bedroom he's masturbating to a photo of franny you know uh that was um just and then he's he's you know and when he's introduced i mean instantly he's spying on her through a hole in the fence which is a clear invasion of her privacy so right away we're given this picture of harold's just not you know such a great guy just right there at the start peek, peeking at her through the uh through the fence so um, and then, you know, it's interesting, you know, like like we kind of talked about where they were kind of setting him up to kind of almost be this unlikely hero who's just misunderstood, you know, by, um, you know, by the rest of the world. And, and like you said, that's probably how Harold sees himself, you know, but as we continue on through the episode, we really get to see his true nature. And he didn't seem very sad at all that everyone in his life is dead. No, not at all. Like he, he seemed almost happy about it. Yeah. You know, like you mentioned when he's like he's listening to that radio program and the radio announcer, whoever the show host was, commits suicide on the air and he just kind of shrugs it off as in like, eh, okay, like, you know, and just continues on with whatever he was doing. Yeah, he's like brushing his teeth, combing his hair. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you mentioned like how he's looking through the the fence hole at Franny and we get that like, okay, he's a creeper. And then in the very next moment, we get those two kids that are beating on him. And, like, right then and there, just between those two instances of the first introduction of his character, you already get a a, a feeling that this is a kid who is probably, like, like the straw is about to break the camel's back with this kid. Oh, yeah. He's he's getting picked on. Like, this is school shooter kind of feel from a character. Yeah. you know, and like I mentioned too, the difference be- in the nonlinear format of we get this version of, of Harold in the beginning, getting picked on, kind of creeperish. You mentioned, you know, like the masturbating to to Franny's picture, all that stuff, and then we get the the Boulder Free Zone version of Harold, who looks like he's more welcomed, he's more part of the group. And if this is your first time introduced to the story, you're like, okay, this guy's really come around. He might be a character I'm into when we get to this point. And then you get the manifesto at the end and you're like, oh, no, this guy's so much worse than we already knew about him. <laughs> yeah. Like to the point like he's ready to murder. Like the, the the straw broke the camel's back already and we're just waiting for it. Yeah. Yeah. He he I think sees himself as like some kind of misunderstood genius. And I think he is smart and he is resourceful, but I think he's also narcissistic and possessive and dangerous mm-hmm. 
So, and, and just let me add a disclaimer. I don't have anything against the whole masturbating thing. It was just in, um, I think, in the way that he's like totally obsessed with framing. Oh, absolutely. Is, yeah. Was, I think that was kind of what I was. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm totally um, um, thumbs up for masturbation, just in case anybody. <laughs> Wonders. I don't want anybody get the. I've got. I've got Ben turning red. I knew what you meant when you said it, but the fact that you have to explain, I, I'm not against masturbation. I just feel like it, I'm, was, it was more just his obsessive over Franny. I, yeah, it's. it's I, I, I would hope clear. people understood that. I don't want to be like, what have you got against it, Rima? Are you anti? Yeah. Like, are you, um, you know, not sex positive? No, I'm totally sex positive, and, and I'm all for that. Just, I want to be clear. I don't want any mistake. I, I just. That. Li- I just like how you had to explain it in case you, because you were worried just in case somebody out there might stop listening to the podcast because they feel like you are, you are against masturbation. I'm all for it. <laughs> I just, we have spent way too much time on masturbation. We have, at this point. we have, we're going to move on. I just, I was throwing out that little disclaimer. We can absolutely move on. That was really my wrap up of number two was just when to kind of talk about some of the characters uh, that that we got to meet and kind of you know get our thoughts and opinions on them and I, I liked the introduction to the characters. I'm I'm good with them so far, so yeah. I'm I'm feeling good about it so far. So it's giving me um, good feelings going into the next episode with the next batch of characters um, that that we're going to meet. So well. You mentioned, you know, you asked me what I thought about James Marsden's portrayal of Stu Redman, mm-hmm. and we talked about Odessa Young. But what, one thing we didn't talk about, and I'm curious your thoughts, what did you think of um, Owen Teague's portrayal of Harold? Like, Because I, I, I thought he was fantastic. I thought it was great. I mean, he... And, and God bless his character. I don't. I also am not familiar with anything else that he's been in. Um, I, I I saw him. I'm like, gosh, I just can't. I'm usually better. You've with seen faces. him before, have I? Oh shit! Mm-hmm. I knew you'd, you'd probably call me out on this. I what have I seen him in? What's it? What's uh, it? Parts one and two of Stephen King's It. Son of a bitch. He's. It's not a major role, but he's in it. Is he? Um, is he one of the bullies? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yep. Now I'm picturing that's when you said that I had to kind of pull back into my memory a little bit. Okay. Well, how hilarious is that then that he's into Stephen King adaptations then? So And and apparently uh he is also now I don't know if this is the Netflix version or this is a different version or this is something that was supposed to happen but not. But he's also listed as being in the Lock and Key TV movie. Oh shit! Um, so um, was Danny Glover in Lock and Key? Danny Glover? Yeah, because no. Danny Glover and Samantha Mathis, Mathis are listed in the cast of this Lock and Key TV movie. They shot. There were two like Hulu. Like it's on Netflix right now. That's where it finally ended up. But this had been shopped around for many years. Um, Hulu and there was oh, and it escapes me. There was another um, platform that also did um, a pilot. So there were like two different pilots floating around out there, and it could have been that one because I'm almost positive he's not in the in the Netflix in the Netflix right okay. the one that we covered yeah. um, earlier this year. Because this one is written by Carlton Cuse, and it's from 2017. So mm. maybe this is the one that was written and shot, but just not picked up. Right. I, I bet it was. 
I bet it was. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I when you said that, I did vaguely remember him as being one of the bullies in it. So I thought uh, it was. I liked his version of Harold way better than Corn Nimick's in the '94 miniseries. Oh, me too. I I I just. <laughs> I just don't Owens think is much more believable. It's way more believable. I think he is pulling off this how he can snap or at least give this portrayal of oh hey, I'm just everybody's friend and oh you guys, how are you today and how's that baby and oh I'd love to come to dinner. You know, and he's flashing that uh Tom Cruise smile that he was practicing in the mirror. <laughs> yes. And and then he's this raving maniac in his bedroom as he's typing out this uh, book or letter, manifesto, whatever it is that he's writing, you know, as he's talking about wanting to kill Stu and maybe even uh Franny. Um I thought he, he 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 was great. He definitely played very creepy. Like he, I I, I was like, yep, you kind of look like a peeping tom. You know, I mm-hmm. believe that. And also this young angry man, um, ranting and raving about how you know he's been um, you know mistreated in the world. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I thought his portrayal of the of the character was fantastic. I thought it was really well done. Awesome. So, yeah, he was good. All right, should we go into our number ones? I I think we should. Uh, so my number one, which I don't know if this is going to be your number one or not. <laughs> um, I have a feeling it might be just because of, of who it, it uh, is in regards to. But I'm going to talk a little bit about Randall Flagg. Yeah, uh, I'm okay with they, that. <laughs> they did... <laughs> this episode did something that was only hinted at in the books and was never revealed in the 94 miniseries. Mm-hmm. This episode put to rest something. Um, and that is that Randall Flagg is responsible for Captain Trips. He sure was in an uh, in- inadvertent kind of way. In the 94 miniseries, it is chalked up to a technical um a technical malfunction as well as in the book. But um, in this episode, I I was watching. And then towards the end, when we see um, uh, Charles Campion getting ready to leave and we see that door stuck, <laughs> I didn't think anything of it because it was very similar to what they showed in the 94 miniseries. With the gate, right. But then, yep. but then when he leaves and we see that boot holding the door open, I'm like, well... That's an interesting new little twist that they did to this. Indeed. So uh, I like how they they kind of held off on the reveal of Randall Flagg. Yes. Because we don't see him, his face at least. We see his shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't see him until the last scene. And he is the very last thing that we see in this episode, followed by, I think, perfectly fitting The Stranger by Billy Joel. Yes. Yes. I thought that was such a fantastic way, one, to introduce the character, because in the book, Randall Flagg is not brought in until chapter 23. Right. Yeah. It's it's quite a ways in the book. Yeah. And I think even in the miniseries, he's not shown until closer to the end of that first episode. Mm -hmm. So... They are bringing him in much earlier 
into the story as having him responsible. Like in the in the book and in the miniseries, Randall Flagg is pretty much just taking advantage of a situation. Right. This virus is broken out. This is an opportunity for him. He's taking advantage of it. This kind of flips the script a little bit in that he is, in fact, responsible for what is happening to the world. Yeah. It And... It's an interesting take because it's like he didn't quite cause it, like he didn't create the virus, but he's an agent of chaos. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely like stepping in to like, well, I'm just going to see what happens here, you know, and, and let this kind of all unfold. He definitely helps it because it, it, it definitely... I don't think would I mean we I don't think it would be world spread like that because you know he if was not he was locking him. himself up in that room. Campion yep. was locking those doors. That was protocol was to shut everything down and um you know contain it right there. And yep. and he's like, eh, we're just gonna we're just gonna let this happen." And I just love not only the boot in the door, but seeing how the door kind of crushed around his foot as in this door was doing everything it could to close yes but just all it took was his foot to stop it um you know it's not like when you just stick your hand in front of an elevator door and the elevator opens back up right like this door was trying to do what it was supposed to do and it, and he just he kept his foot out and and foot on it as in like we're gonna let this out we're gonna see what happens Yes. And that's ex- and so I thought that's a great <gasps> new twist to the introduction of Randall Flagg. Yeah. Um I don't know if it's going to have a huge impact on the remainder of the story because the virus is already out. Yes. So it it doesn't really matter now at this point whether he let it out or not. He, the virus is out, the world has changed, the world is dying. He's he's building his side of the story. So it doesn't matter whether or not he was the one responsible, but the fact that they showed that he is, I, I, again, I just thought was a really cool twist to the introduction of this character. I thought it was pretty damn fantastic. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm very happy. I mean, I would love to just, you know, let's just bring Alexander Skarsgård right in to the forefront because... That's just what I think. But uh, as far as like staying true to, um, you know, the best way to introduce Randall Flagg is not just all up in your face. I I, I like the slow burn and the slow introduction. Um, Randall Flagg's a a major character in the Stephen King universe um, as he goes by many names, not just Randall Flagg, um, as Mm -hmm. many Stephen King King fans know. Um, But I thought it was great. You just, like you said, see him in shadow. Um, or you just maybe get his boots walking down the road there at the end. We, you know, get his boots. Um, so it's kind of hard to mistake like, oh, those were his boots. You know, that's what they kind of focus on a lot. And then you kind of see a little bit of him um, as he's hitchhiking um, when he comes out to Harold. But he's he's more in shadow. So that's about all that we get. But then we do get a space. I thought it was just absolutely perfect. And this is why I think that it was such an uh an amazing choice to have Alexander Skarsgård um, play Randall Flagg is um, that grin at the end in the rearview mirror because I mean it just he's grinning at the chaos that's about to unfold because this is when Campion is escaping um, him and his family he's the one that's pretty much like the typhoid Mary of this story mm-hmm. and 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 Randall Flagg's just loving it he's like yeah bring it on and sitting back there with the baby um, with that grin oh my god I just I, well, I melted. 
And one of the. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's fine. Uh, You didn't even have to say it. I kind (laughs) of knew that was the case anyway. One of the other things, though, I really appreciated about Alexander. I I didn't really learn to appreciate it until I saw it in this episode Mm -hmm. about Alexander Skarsgård playing Randall Flagg is that there's a huge difference between Jamie Sheridan playing Randall Flagg and Alexander Skarsgård playing Randall Flagg. And that is when you look at the two of them, Alexander Skarsgård is a, or, um, uh, sorry, Jamie Sheridan is a bigger, he had the mullet. He's a bigger, more intimidating face. He's a bigger, more intimidating person that if you saw this person in a wheat field, in a cornfield or whatever, he would be somebody that you would look at and kind of back away yeah, from. Yeah, a little bit more off-putting. Whereas, whereas Alexander Skarsgård uh, his, and his portrayal of Randall Flagg is a little bit different. He looks more like you said he's he's much more pretty than Jamie Sheridan was um he has a at least from what we saw it with him with the baby he is a much more friendly and trustworthy trustworthy face mm-hmm. so you can kind of understand it with his portrayal why it would be so easy for people to follow him very charming whereas where at, exactly he has a charm to him that Jamie Sheridan's version, which I love, don't get me wrong. Yeah, Jamie Sheridan's version of Randall Flagg just did not have. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Alexander Skarsgård's has a much more charm-filled version, which, if you're going to tempt people to go with you, it's going to take charm to do it. And I and I think that. You know, while while Jamie Sheridan's version was was good, but also just different. Um, you know, I think I think Alexander Skarsgård is going to have a little bit more of a subtle. Uh, I don't want to say like downplaying um, Randall Flagg, but I think just a little bit more of a quiet, more subtle. Where Jamie Sheridan, I think, was a little bit more over the top. And Randall Flagg isn't kind of can be an over the top character, but I, I'm I'm just kind of interested to see. I mean, God. If you watch True Blood and just watch Alexander Skar- Skarsgård as Eric Northman, I mean, <laughs> he can he can go he's he can be very quiet. like zero to sixty. Yeah, I mean he's calm and he's charming and he's funny and witty, and then the next minute he's ripping a body in half. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and it's it's all great. <laughs> and I think we're gonna get that with. Uh, with Randall Flagg yeah. in this too. I think he's going to be the same exact way. He's going to portray portray him in such a way that he's going to be charming and witty to try and win you over to come Absolutely. to come to Las Vegas in his side, but when you are against him, it's going to be 0 to 60 and we're going to get like I'm going to destroy you. Yeah. Fast forward, I have blood all over my face because I just ripped you in half. Absolutely. Yeah, as soon as... Um, yeah. Randall Flagg. Oh, yeah. I, I have no doubt. So that's why I think he's, you know, a, a really good choice. And I'm I'm very interested. So, so yeah, even though we just got a little bit of walking down the road, a little bit of hitchhiking on the side, it was um, it was very satisfying mm-hmm. um, still. So very excited to, to get a little bit more of him. Um, yeah, absolutely. So that leads to to your number one. Well, my number one, and and shockingly, it is not Randall Flagg. It is not Alexander Skarsgård. Um, (laughs) I thought that would just be too obvious. Come on. That's that's later episodes. There's going to be plenty (laughs) of of my ranting and devotion 
to come. So, you know, we, we won't dive into that just yet. Um, I, I wanted to talk really quickly about and kind of get your thoughts because the, the relationship between Stu and Dr. Ellis was different in this yes, episode. it was. And I liked it. Um, I, I have it as one of my additional notes, believe it or not, that my favorite character in this episode was Hamish Linklater as Dr. Ellis. I'm going to tell you what. I, I love Hamish Linklater. I, I, know him, I know he's been in other things, but I know him uh, especially from Legion, uh, which Jason and I covered on um, the Legion cast. And that's a three-season show that I cannot recommend enough if, you, if folks haven't seen it. I absolutely just love that show. He was a, a character in that, um, and he was great. I mean, he was great. I won't say anything about his character or you know where he started or where he ended up or anything like that but i i really loved and appreciated him in that show so when i saw him in the credits uh for for this and in the cast and i thought oh my gosh yes and he did not disappoint he is just as great in this episode um as as what he was in legion and i really loved that relationship and i know that like you know you mentioned earlier um james marsden's kind of different take on stew and i think that's part of what some uh, at least one piece anyway that some people had a problem with was you know this this relationship that stew wasn't james marsden's stew anyway was not quite as um i guess um didn't fight back as much um wasn't as a, a you know like aggressive enough and that he was a little bit more docile maybe um and that you know that that's kind of what made him through through this whole time that he spent in quarantine and fighting his way out um was i think another thing that them some people had um an an issue with but i don't know i i really liked that relationship that developed between the two of them it was really great to see that you know how he he came in and just tried to relate to him and and get and just not be so off-putting and be like, you know, they say that you're not going to cooperate until we answer your questions. What questions do you have? And he's as upfront as what he can be with him. Um, so I don't know. I liked it. And I, I thought it was great, you know, that he that they um, had this relationship enough that he was willing to, to save him and help him get out, um, you know, of, of that CDC um, lockdown facility that they were in. So I don't know. I, I'm glad that glad that you like that too. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Like I said, I I have him listed as my favorite character from this episode. I mean, Stu, Franny, and Harold aside, mm-hmm. I, like I I really loved the dynamic of his character. I'm a fan of his too. I mean, he was in um, uh, the Crazy Ones with Robin Williams, which was okay. Unfortunately, a show that only lasted one season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, he was great in that. I, I remember him in the newsrooms. I, I really enjoyed him in the newsroom as well. So uh, like you, I didn't even realize he was in the cast until I read it while we were recording the last episode (laughs) and you heard my excitement. I got excited that he was in it. So seeing who he portrayed in this episode and seeing that dynamic, which again, I think kind of pushed forward the story. And introducing us to the danger of this virus and the government's involvement more than it did introduce us to Stu, you know, introducing us to the virus instead. Mm -hmm. But again, like when he walks in and, you know, Stu says to him, like, and I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, he says something along the lines of, so you're the doctor I I want. Why is it you're the doctor that 
they the doctor they want me to talk to and he's like well because i'm the best looking one <laughs> and i'm like oh i already love him like he's already fantastic yeah. and you're he's right great. the relationship that he builds with Stu throughout this that when like towards the end of this it it you could tell they're becoming friends they're getting close because they're stuck in the same situation together when you get to that point in like you if you if you know the character from the 94 stand and from the book you know this is not a character that goes very far in this story right but you know you kind of when you see this difference of a character um in 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 the way it was portrayed in the book in 94 you kind of get behind him a little bit and you're kind of a li- at least a little more hopeful again so yes. when you get that scene in the episode where the door opens and he's standing there coughing with a rag over his face, you you're sad. Yes, like you you're actually like, oh man, like I was just liking this character, and now he's like he's dead. He's he's gonna die. I think maybe he had more character development in this one episode than what we had from the other um, characters <laughs> we met. I felt a maybe. connection. To I was like, oh no, Doctor Ellis is sick and coughing too, and was sad. Yeah. But you know, I I'm I'm glad you brought up this this dynamic of these two characters and and um and and Hamish and uh, that playing Doctor Ellis because again he was probably my favorite character from this episode. Yeah, he was great. He was great, and and I love him as an actor. Um, so yeah, that was good. That was my number one. So okay, fair enough. Well, let's talk notes. I know we got lots um, of notes. Uh, you know what? I actually was able to fit a bunch of mine into the conversation. Oh, good. Um, to the point where I really only have maybe one additional vote, note, Ooh. other other than the the nods to you got some Stephen King and other works some um, and eggs. Easter eggs. Yeah. Um, outside of Stephen King nods and Easter eggs, I really only have one additional note. Okay. Um, it's something I didn't pick up on in the 94 miniseries, and again, I never read the book, so I didn't I didn't really think of it. Mm-hmm. Um, all the times I had watched the 94 miniseries, I was always under the impression that Stu was the father of Franny's baby. Me too. Because I don't, because I don't, I don't think it was ever revealed in the 94 miniseries that she was pregnant. Right. But, but in this episode... It is hinted at she is already pregnant. She is about to tell her father something, but when he is weak, she decides, I'll tell you later. Mm-hmm. She never gets to tell him she's pregnant with her boyfriend's baby. Right. Her ex-boyfriend's baby, because she had split up with him. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until this episode that I realized Stu was not the father. Yeah. I was. I always thought... Stu was the father of the baby. I, I feel like a ding dong. Um, I always thought that too. <laughs> That's what we get for not reading the book. I know. I know. There's people screaming at us right now who have read the book. And they're like, see? Yep. I We didn't talk about this last episode. We talked about this when we were done. Um, but I am telling everybody out there now, when this mini, when this, when this series is over, I'm, I am diving into the book. I'm making the commitment and diving into the book. I am either... Uh, the, the audiobook was also recommended um, because I know that that... Or I was told 
you know, gives a really great backstory as well. So I don't know. I, I've mentioned that I have issue with audiobooks because I have I just I have a very short attention span and I have a really hard time like just I don't even have time for a podcast nowadays, much less um, <laughs> an audiobook. But I don't know. I'll fl- I'll I'll flip a coin, and um, I'm going to do either either one of them. Um, well, so the, I don't know the audiobook is 47 hours, so uh, buckle in. I'd say, I'd say. <laughs> but then also, you know, I to dedicate the time to read a book is also like I'm terrible. I should I should have read a hundred books by now by the end of this freaking pandemic, or at least not where I know we're not at the end of the pandemic, but the end of this year because of the pandemic and being um, quarantined and at home. Um, should have read a hundred books by now, but no. Yeah. Instead, I've I've pretty much watched the entirety uh, Netflix library instead. So I. I, over the course of this whole pandemic and the stay at home, I have bought more books than pages in a book I have read. <laughs> yeah. That's relatable. That's, I mean, and and that's sad. I'm, you know, I have. I've bought probably like four or five books over the course of this pandemic, and I've I've been lucky if I've read four or five pages of any of them. I know. I'm I'm embarrassed. I I applaud everyone who's out there reading more books and and you know expanding in that avenue. Instead, I've been playing video games and watching <laughs> <Me> TV. <too. laughs> Yep, I have been pretty much twelve years old again during this pandemic. Yep, I, yep. I have been playing video games, watching TV and movies, and not even TV and movies. I should be watching like stuff I've never seen before. I'm watching the same, the same stuff. stuff I've seen a hundred times. Me too. The number of times I have gone through the entire season of Parks and Rec and The Office over these past eight months is ridiculous. Yeah. I, I have and, tried to get better. I'm I, I watch some of the same stuff, but I'm like, no, you you can watch one old show, but if you're going to watch one old show that you've seen before, you have to add one new show and 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 do that. And then of course, you know, podcasting. Um, you know, yeah. uh, watching a new show when I'm podcasting. So I sometimes I include whatever show or something that I'm covering on the podcast. Like that's my new show that I'm watching. But I do try to um, incorporate. And expand a little bit, um, but yeah, that's that's my contribution to all of this. Is I'm not reading books. I'm TV shows, <laughs> movies because there's no new movie, so it's old movies most for the most part. Um, and video games. Well, well, what and what I think it is too, though, is the reasons why we go to the stuff that we've seen before is because it's comfort. It is comfort. You know, there's already so much going on in this world that we we we're searching for comfort. Mm-hmm. So we go to things we already know are comforting. Amen to that. Amen to that. Yeah, it's everything's so uncertain and everything has been so uncertain in this world in mm-hmm. 2020 that it's like, let me go back to something I know, something I love, something I know, something I know is it's how it's going to turn out. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Instead of all this uncertainty in the world. Yep, you're right. Um, exactly. I like that. Um, did you have any other um, non-Easter egg notes? Because I can go to my non-Easter egg notes before we de- dig into any Easter eggs and yep. Stephen King mentions. Why don't you go into yours? Because other than the Easter eggs uh, and such, I'm, I've pretty much gone through everything Okay. on my end. Well, I was able to incorporate some of mine too, but... 
um, we we talked a little bit, and I didn't mention when you were talking about some of the uh, characters that were introduced, like J.K. Simmons, um, and then Brian Cranston. Um, just a little something for me. Um, I don't know if anyone else uh, recognized him, but me being a huge X Files fan, Nicholas Lee was in this episode. I don't know if we'll see him again, but he played Alex Krychek on the X-Files. And I was just over the moon. Um, I'm a huge Nicholas Lee fan from the X-Files days. Um, so it was it was awesome to see him. So I wanted to kind of throw that out there and, and in case anyone else either recognized him or maybe didn't. He was the... Um, Oh, I don't know that we got his name. If we got his name, it totally escaped me. But he's the one that his, gave his, Harold the pep talk about puking, saying, you know, okay. I was an EMT for 26 years. You know, I thought I'd seen a lot of death, but nothing like this. He's like, you go ahead and puke, son. That was Nicholas Lee. He was kind of like his the name leader. is his name is Norris. Ah, OK. I don't know if they the said his name or not. If they did, it totally just escaped me. Um, but yeah, that's that's the actor. Um, he's he's okay. great. I like him. And that's, like I said, just because I'm a huge X-Files nerd. Um, I liked, there was a funny funny line when Harold's being chased by the bullies, uh, when he's on his bike and that one of the bullies is chasing him. And he, he goes, oh my God, he's like the T-1000. <laughs> I laughed because I was that thinking was... the same exact thing. I was like, he's running like the T-1000. Look at how intense he is. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a great line. There was, there was a couple great lines um from uh from this episode when when Harold as as weird and as creepy as it is when he's kind of talking to himself the speech he's going to give Fran mm-hmm. uh he's going to give Fran and he's like Fran I have a plan <laughs> fuck that rhymes yeah. like <laughs> like that made me chuckle a little bit yeah um uh when Stu says to Dr. Ellis funny that's funny I wouldn't have taken you for a doctor and he's like yeah I get that a lot <laughs> um uh, you know th- yeah there was a number of uh there was a number of, of good lines in this yeah, episode. Yeah, they had some good ones. Um, and then I thought they did really well with a lot of the gore. Uh, you know, the, I don't know what it is about this flu. The the So many of the corpses had, and, and, and then Cobb, who wasn't dead yet, but he, like, the neck swelling thing is gross. And um, so I think they're doing a really good job with some of the gore. And, and and things that they're, I think they're going to do a really good job, um, kind of translating a lot of the stuff that's probably um, in in the book. And I know I haven't read The Stand, but I've read plenty of other Stephen King books, and it gets pretty damn gory in his descriptions of, you know, either creatures or dead things or, or things getting mangled. And um, I feel like they're going to do a, a pretty good job. So we kind of talked about that a little bit about maybe some of the limitations that the 94 version had, maybe because it was on network TV. Like we've got some language in the series, you know, they're throwing around some curse words and stuff. Um, and then I think they're going to be able to push the gore um, a little bit more. So it was, yeah. you know, that was, that was pretty gross. And when, like when Franny, when you mentioned earlier when she was trying to move her dad um, to bury him and when she moved him, it's like his, his body like kind of gurgled or you know and like ugh, that was just just a little almost too real so um i I like i like i like that stuff i like that they're kind of you know keeping keeping it real like like you would expect anyway so those are my and i'm sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say and i'm glad you brought up the neck bloat too because that was something i paid a lot of attention to in this episode because from what i've read online the neck bloat is a is a pretty vivid 
description of Captain Trips in the book. Oh, okay. I missed that. And it wasn't I think it's called Tube Neck in in the in the book. Oh, um, okay. And it's something that they never really explored in the 94 version. Probably because of prosthetics and such it would have been way too expensive. Mm-hmm. To do, whereas it's a lot easier it is. now to do it, like Lots you mentioned. Lots of advancements, yeah, in technology and special, or makeup effects and yeah, than what we had in 94, or whenever they shot it, maybe it was 93 when they actually made it, 94 when it was released, maybe, but um, okay, that makes sense. I guess, um, again, not having that knowledge of the book, um, didn't realize that that was kind of a tell um, of that specific illness. But yeah. those are my non-Easter egg related notes. So what have you got? Let's let's make some comparisons. Oh. All <laughs> right. Let's let let's throw some uh some Easter eggs out there. So um we we mentioned the what was the the first one we mentioned earlier in the in the podcast? The um poem from um Yeats that JK Simmons was That's reading. right. Yep. Yes, that's right. Um, so uh, one of the other ones I have is when we were talking last week about the 90... This isn't a Stephen King reference. This is an, an Easter egg to the 94 okay, miniseries. Okay, that counts. Um, when we were talking about the miniseries last episode, we mentioned Sam Raimi and how Sam Raimi was one of the characters in the in the original 94 and we never even really realized yep. it until we looked at the cast. Uh in the the part where Harold and the other guy are in the theater room of the house and they're talking about the DVDs and how he wants to build the drive-in and everything, there is a Darkman poster on the wall. Yes. Darkman written and directed by Sam Raimi. Yes. And I don't think that's an accident. <laughs> No, I don't think that's <laughs> nope. an accident at all. I think that's if there's anything we've learned, um, like uh, the, the tele, like the television show Lost has taught us, when there's certain shows, Stephen King is another example. There are no accidents exactly. in things that are in the background. Exactly, Every, everything is there for a reason. Absolutely. Um, what about you? What's another one of yours? So, um, there. In Harold's room, he has a King mm-hmm. Crimson poster, which mm-hmm. King Crimson, Crimson King, which is a, just another name for Randall Flagg. So mm-hmm. that's that's one of mine. Small thing, but have that. I'm I'm gonna stay right in Harold's bedroom. Okay. Ooh, that's because a there are place. two. I know. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have worded yeah. that a little differently. <laughs> Um, there are two other references to Stephen King mm-hmm. in his bedroom. Yes. Uh, the first one is, I can give them both or I can leave you to give one if you want. That's okay. Um, I will give you one of them. Uh, one of them is a nod to one, one of his books, but not in the traditional sense. Uh, it's to his book on writing, yes. which I actually own. Uh, it is the how he how Harold puts the rejection letters on the nail on the wall. That is something that Stephen King himself actually did. Yes, early in his career, when he was getting rejection letters for his books before he made it big, he would stick rejection letters on a nail on his wall. And I actually have a quote uh, from that. Okay, he says, "By the time I was fourteen, the nail in my wall would no longer support the weight of the rejection slips impaled upon it. I replaced the nail with a spike and went on writing." Nice. Yeah. 
I love uh, that. Do you know? Do you know what the other one? The the referenced in his room. I don't have it. No, I have something else. So no, let's let's educate me here. Uh, so the the letter that he gets in the show mm-hmm. in the episode is from Cemetery Dance. Cemetery Dance is the publishing company that has published a number of Stephen King's books. Oh man, that's awesome! <laughs> I'm yep. embarrassed. <laughs> it's all right. That's good. That was a good. That's pickup. a hard one. That, it's a hard one to see. It, it is. It was. Yeah. I I have to really start paying a little bit more attention um, when when they're showing these little things um, because yeah, yeah, they're out there. These fun little Easter eggs and references. I have t- I have two other ones. Okay. One is one was pretty obvious. The other one is very easy to miss. But I I want to turn it back over to you to see if you have any other ones. The last one that I have. Let me double check. I don't think I have any other because sometimes some of my Easter egg ones got mixed with my regular notes. Nope. I think it's the last one I've got. The okay. typewriter in the antique store was marked with a two seventeen price tag, which is an obvious shining reference for room two seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to piggyback on that okay. one um, in two different ways, actually. Uh, the store that the typewriter was, was from is Derry and Sons. Oh, yes. God damn it. Derry is a common yes. location in many Stephen King books. It is, is one uh, of them. Yep. But to tack on to the numbers, uh, 217 is a very significant number in... Uh, in Stephen King lore with The Shining, Mm -hmm. but the number 237 also is because the room number was changed to 237 (laughs) because people were too afraid to stay in room 217 after King's writing. in uh, in In the scene with Charles Campion where this place goes into lockdown... When he turns and he looks at the clock for the lockdown, the time on the clock is 2.37. Oh, man. That's good. That's good. So we got both numbers in the first episode of this. Of this. Yeah. So I love when little Easter eggs like that get put into episodes. I, I love it. And it's fun to look for them. It is. It is. And, and sometimes you catch them... Uh, during the first watch, because, you know, we talked about it. We have very similar styles when we're, you know, podcasting on a show. The first watch for me is my fan watch. Like, I don't focus mm-hmm. too hard about, you know, details and taking notes. I mean, I do pick up on details because I just naturally do. I just have a thing for details. But sometimes I'm not analyzing too hard. Um, if I pick something up, that's great. I'm like, yay, that that was cool. Um, but I don't worry too much about it. Um, and then, then it's that second watch. So, um I, I can tell I'm I'm definitely going to have to up my game just a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's super fun to catch those. Uh, you couldn't have Stephen King works at all without having some Easter eggs or some nods to his other works, books, shows, you know, whatever. Um, or even maybe a nod to the original 94 series. I, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, try to have slight nods to that as well to, you know, kind of honor that a little bit. So... Yeah. It's super fun. I, I love it. And and it was fun to when you when you look at the like I said I've watched it I've watched the episode multiple times and it was fun to watch to figure out which Easter eggs I found during my fan watch 
And then the other ones when I was analyzing, like the Darkman poster I noticed on first mm-hmm. watch, 217 I noticed on first watch, Darian Sons I noticed on first watch. But it wasn't until I really started to dive into the episode that I noticed the 237. I noticed the the letter. I, I thought about the spike on the wall with the rejection letters. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's fun to when I do pick up on these on these Easter eggs. I love it. it. It makes me feel like I'm paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Like we're <laughs> we're really watching this, and and that that was fun. They had a lot of those in the series Castle Rock, which I'm not sure if you watched or not. But we covered. I have not yet, but I wanted to. It's, you know, eh, there were mixed feelings on that from a lot of people too. Uh, we enjoyed it, and there was some really good story there. I thought, especially season two, was a lot of fun. Um, especially, but both seasons had. I mean, and and Castle Rock, it's not from a Stephen King. Uh, book it's kind of taken from the whole world of Stephen King I was gonna say isn't it pieces from everything kind of yeah they just they take like okay this character from one of his books um you know it's not going to be specifically about that book um it's not gonna be an adaptation but it's going to be kind of a story about that character maybe um Mm -hmm. you know things like that so they pull from different kind of pieces but there's so many tie-ins to the whole... I mean, if you're a Stephen King... You don't have to love Stephen King, but it certainly enhances the experience if you're a Stephen King nerd or fan yeah. and, and you watch it and you just get little giggles, you know, about, um, you know, when they mention certain characters or certain towns or, you know, something like that. You're just like, oh, yeah, that, that was awesome. So I, I, I fully expected this, um, you know, being uh, something from Stephen King um, that we're going to get those little nods. So... Yeah, that was good, and I think I think they'll be in every episode. I think so. I think that's yeah. we're definitely going to see more. And like I said, I'm going to have to up my game a little bit. Um, I cannot allow Alexander Skarsgård to distract me um, from these strikes, <laughs> <laughs> and he was barely in this episode. So I can't I can't talk yet because Amber Heard hasn't popped up. I yet. know, so I know. What's she it? might be as big as big a distraction for me. As- exactly. As Alexander Skarsgård is for you, I, so I, I think I, she will. I mean, she's a beautiful woman. I'm, so I'm holding out judgment. I, I, I can't. I know. <laughs> I can't, it's okay. I can't criticize. I get it, and I will not judge at all. So yeah, <laughs> that was really good. Did you have anything else you want to say about anything that we've talked about before we move on? Um, no, uh, not really. Okay. Um, the only other thing I know was changed from the book that I did read online. Some people were kind of curious about is. Um, the location that Mother Abigail is sending them to. Yeah. Uh, originally, it's in Nebraska, yes. but in this, it's in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they made that change. I don't either. Hopefully, it's going to be a little. Hopefully, it might be revealed a little bit later. Right. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that's I think worth mentioning the the difference there. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out, and maybe it'll make sense as to why they changed that. Yeah. Exactly. I. Again, there's no explanation for it online. I I know it's been a criticism of some people. Um, I don't really think it makes a difference, to be honest with you. You know, they're just bringing them all together so that they can move to Boulder. So I don't really think it, in my opinion, I don't think it matters that it moved from Nebraska to Colorado. But for for some people who are true to the book, it matters. So 
hopefully they'll they'll give us some kind of explanation as to why they did. And that. I get that. I don't want to uh, sound like you know I'm bashing by any means any of the book readers. I am a constant reader myself. Although some might argue with that because I did not read the stand. <laughs> Look, I did not read every single Stephen King book. Okay, I have not. I've read many. Um, I did not read this one, um, but I do consider myself a constant reader. And I, I get it. I and there and it's not just Stephen King books, but you know when you read a book and and you know it it, it means something to you or it impacts you in some way, and then someone decides to take that book and adapt it in some way, whether it's a movie or a TV show or a series or whatever, you know you're going to be watching that. You're going to be critical of that, and you're going to be mm-hmm. you know looking for you know, perfection. And that's really hard to do, especially with, with Stephen King. Stephen King adaptations are very hit or miss. Um, so I get it. I, I certainly don't want to bash anybody that loves the book and is devoted to that book and, um, you know, is maybe disappointed with either the 94 miniseries or maybe this version, maybe both. I don't know. I get it. Um, but maybe that's because we haven't read it that maybe we're able to, you know, look at it maybe a little bit differently. So, you know, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. It's, um, books are just so much different. You get such a, a bigger picture of, of worlds and characters and everything that's going on in a book that you just can't put it on screen. Yeah. And, and I, and I totally, I'm with you. I get it. Um, it's very easy for us to say what we say when we haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, when you look, I, I have read Stephen King books. I have seen adaptations of the books. And in my opinion, none of them have come close to the book. Um, the Stephen King, uh, the Stephen King, uh, The Shining, as as big of a masterpiece of a, of a movie as I think that is, completely different ending from the book. Um, but yet people still love the movie. They gave the movie a chance and they still love the movie. So the only thing I will say is, if you can, if it is possible... Try your best to separate the book from the series. Look at this. Look at this as a series, not a book adaptation. Because I think if you do that, I I think you're automatically setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah, there are just some things um, like the Dark Tower movie, um, and you know, there we've got Matthew McConaughey as playing um, the Man in Black, Randall Flagg. Crimson Did Idris Elba um, as the gunslinger. I mean, I know. Well, that alone I, was enough to get me to watch it. I was going to say, Idris Elba, I thought, was fantastic. I loved him as as Roland. Um, and I was very excited to see Matthew McConaughey. It didn't quite... And I don't know so much that I'm, I am I could, you know, put it on Matthew McConaughey as maybe as the writing. I don't think he was given the right material, but I was very interested in seeing Matthew McConaughey as a very suave like dangerous character mm-hmm. like Randall Flagg. Um, I, I didn't mind it that much. The movie itself was kind of bad, but I just, I, you know, I, I was very fearful. I didn't want them to do The Dark Tower at all. I didn't want a movie. I didn't want a mi- miniseries. I just said, leave it alone. You were never going to You're never going to gonna get, get it right. Nope. You're never going to get it right. And and I was, but I watched it anyway. I thought I'm going to watch it anyway because I just always do. I'm going to watch it and I'm going to try to like separate myself from, you know, the book and just watch it. And it was not great. Um, although I did, did like I said, I, I do think they did a good job with the characters, but um, I just thought the movie itself just was not great and fell apart and didn't, didn't flow very well. Um, so they're just never going to do that. They're just never... 
uh, Desperation is something was one of my favorite books. And I feel like don't ever try to adapt that either. Um, you know, Eyes of the Dragon, another one of my favorites. Uh, please, I love please. Eyes of the Dragon. Oh, my gosh. One of my just all time faves. I could read that over and over again. Again, another one with um, Randall Flagg in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, please don't adapt that. Anyone just please leave it alone. <laughs> just, it's going to be disappointing no matter what you do. You know, it's so funny is it's been so long since I've read The Dark Tower. And I was wi- I'm with you on that. Um, in that it should not have been um, adapted. If they were going to do it, it, there was no way they could do it as a two-hour-long movie. No. <clears throat> the only way to came even close to it is as a miniseries. And even as a miniseries, it would take multiple seasons. It would. To tell that story. Oh, my because, gosh. Because the, the Dark Tower... The Dark Tower is, what, four books? Oh, no. There's, is it more than that? Yeah, there's more than that. There were... Um, well, maybe I haven't read all of them. No. Gosh. I, I've only read one through four. <laughs> How many are there? Aren't there... Oh, my gosh. It's been... I haven't read them since the last one came out. How many are there? Let's see. The Dark Tower book series... Um, oh, it's eight books. Yeah, I'm say, behind. I thought, there were, I thought there was at least, I was getting ready to say seven, but I think the last one came out that was a, kind of a surprising thing. 2012. Um, yeah. Went, went through the keyhole that he finally wrapped it up. That's the one we were waiting on forever. Yeah, Wizards <laughs> forever. and Glasses. Oh, crap. Wizards and Glasses, the last one I've read. Yeah. So, oh, there are nine. Went through the keyhole was the ninth book. Oh, I'm behind. I got to get caught up. Yeah, you Maybe. do. Yeah, I, I'm going to be on a Stephen King binge for a while. And that's not a bad thing. No. No, not at that's all. A good, it's a good rabbit hole to fall into. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Here we all go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I, I, I just ask if anybody was disappointed with the first with the first episode. Anytime a new series starts, I always, it's something I do personally, and I always tell people the same thing, give it three episodes. Yeah. If by the third episode, you're, not, you're still not sold, it, then it is what it is. You're, you're not going to be interested into it after that. Hey, I've said this before, uh, The Witcher on Netflix, it took five episodes for me to really, really get, and I, I was told that, I was like, and this should be a sh- this should have been a no brainer for me. This this is something I'm very into, uh, the whole world, and and I know it was adap- not quite adapted from the video game. I think it was more for, from the novel because the video yeah. game was from the novel. Um, so, but you know, I was familiar with it, and I thought this is totally my thing. So I was ready. I jumped in, and I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. what? Um, and I, I, I was telling the group, uh, and people were like, oh, my God, this series is amazing. And I'm like, okay, well, help me out. Why don't I love it? And they are like, what episode are you on? And I was like, I watched the first one, and I'm just, I, I can't follow it. I mean, talk about a nonlinear story. You've seen, yeah. you've seen The Witcher, right? I mean, <laughs> I come have. on. So and it jumps a, all over. Yeah. So I was like, what the hell am I watching? And they're like, okay, yes, you're right. Um, give it at least to episode four, maybe even five. I think by five, you're going to be hooked, and you're going to, like, not even remember that you didn't like it and it was 100% accurate by the time I got to like that fourth episode and then started the fifth I was so into it and loved it and was so sad that it was over because by that point I was halfway over with it um, for that season so sometimes it takes a little bit so that's why I'm willing to you know even if I didn't love this um, episode as much um, I'm like you know what you gotta give it a couple episodes you gotta kind of live it and breathe it a little bit yeah and hopefully, hopefully people stick around. 
And hopefully some of the stuff that we talked about this week in comparing, you know, a, a linear to a nonlinear storytelling, uh, you know, and, and diving into that a little bit, maybe that'll open up people a little bit more to kind of want to give this series a shot. I hope uh, so. I, I know it's not the same storytelling as the book. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't follow that linear progression, but, you know, give it a shot, stick with it, and hopefully maybe you'll come around on it a little bit. And And you never know. I mean... It could pick up and completely turn around, Yeah, you know, to something that you're going to like. And if you don't stick with it or at least give it a couple more episodes, you'll never know that. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I thought there were parts of the 94 series that was kind of slow. You know, yeah. I, I thought this episode kept things moving. Um, I don't know if that's maybe one of the reasons they made the choice that they did. Um you know, and it's not really a knock on it, I guess, but I thought there were some parts that were just kind of kind of slow. I'm like, can can we move this along just a little bit, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, you know, the reason why they did did that or not. So I don't know. Gotta we'll find out. Episodes. Yeah. We'll find out. We'll see what happens next. Um, well, I think that was a really g- great wrap up on um, the discussion for this episode. So that's going to take us into our listener feedback portion of the podcast. One of my favorite um, parts of the podcast, because I really am interested to hear what everyone else thinks about the um, this episode and the series I am too. as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, the first one that we have is from Barry Evitz. He says, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode, although the jumping around in time may have been confusing for newbies to the stand. James Marsden was good. Owen Teague did a fantastic job as Harold Lauder. He really brought the creep creep factor up to 10. Mm -hmm. All in all, a solid start and has me waiting for more. Looking forward to taking uh, this journey with y'all. Yeah, agreed. Thanks, Barry. Uh, Sheldon Scott, not yet, but I did listen to your podcast of the 94 series. I'm I'm, I'm assuming maybe you asked him if he had watched the the first episode yet. Okay. (laughs) Uh, looking forward to an updated and longer version of a truly epic book, and I pray they don't turn it into a yearly TV series. I can't handle another Under the Dome fiasco. LOL. Um, I, I remember saying last week it was never listed as a limited series. It is listed as a limited series, so it's only going to be one season. Okay, so yes. I'm, I'm so glad that they're doing that. I, I agree with you, Sheldon. Um, we don't need another Under the Dome fiasco. I read the book, was so pleased with the book, and then was excited. Um, and I thought it, I thought Under the Dome started, at least the first couple of episodes, I, I thought held some promise. And then I, it just wasn't great. And I, I, think I, I honestly... Felt- yeah, I think I fell off after the first season. I fell off after the first season. I, I couldn't. Uh, so I agree. It was a little bit of a fiasco. And yeah. I hate that because there were some some great actors in there who played great characters. Um, so uh, that was sad. Yeah. Uh, Tony Douglas says, I'm watching for Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that you're so very honest about that, Tony. Um Tell me more. She goes on, I have very low expectations for the series. I haven't liked many Stephen King adaptations. First episode problems, that wolf. Uh, Was it supposed to be scary? Because I just wanted to cuddle that puppy dog. Uh, The time jumps. I understood what was going on, but if you haven't read the book, I could see why you could be thrown for a loop. Casting so far is pretty good. No huge complaints. We will see what happens. I think the the wolf thing uh you know she just wanted to cuddle that puppy dog i mean you figure the wolf is randall flag and wolf form so if he is a charming person (laughs) if he's charming as a person he's cuddly as a wolf he wants to draw you in 
So yep. I think that could explain why that dog didn't seem aggressive. The wolf didn't seem aggressive. Yeah. So. I don't. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because, um, gosh, I still feel like even after all these books and after uh, so many books, uh, we we see Randall Flagg or how, whatever name that you know him by in whichever book he's in. We still don't have a really great understanding of some of his powers and like what he can and can't do. Um, so I don't know if it's so much that he can turn into the wolf if he uh, can get the wolf to obey him, like he can um, talk to the wolf and the wolf does his bidding, or exactly how far that goes. But um, mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty darn cute too, so I agree. <laughs> uh, Sarah Chang sucked. Loved the new flag though, but yeah, no, that's a shame. Yeah, um, Sarah, like we said, just you know, give it a couple more episodes. Don't give don't give up on it just yet. At least keep watching it for for Randall Flag. <laughs> keep just, giving it for Alexander Skarsgård just you know whatever helps you know then if that's what draws you in and keeps you and then you end up enjoying it well then that's good yeah uh, Lindsay Schlicht says if I make it through the entirety of this one I think it'll be my love for the podcast and not necessarily my desire to watch the show Within the first five minutes of people showing signs of a deadly respiratory disease, the radio announcing bans on public gatherings, and scared people behaving horribly, I definitely felt like I was watching the news rather than being entertained. I did read the book (laughs) many years ago, and I do think the plague aspect becomes the background of the story, like how you mentioned the zombies in The Walking Dead um, are, so I'm going to stick it out and see where we end up. Alexander doesn't hurt either, <laughs> LOL. Anyone else catch the big mouth opening song on the soundtrack? That one made me laugh. I feel like I'm in such a minority with the Alexander Skarsgård thing here. You know, I mean, no, no, I'm not in a minority. I mean, like, I enjoy him as an actor. I'm just not enjoying him for the same reasons everybody else is. But, you know, it's okay if you, if you do think that. There's no judgment here if you think I, he's a pretty handsome guy. I, he's definitely he, a good-looking dude. He is a good-looking dude. I'm not denying it at all. Um. Yeah, he's. I'm not going to go any further. I, I, I'm gonna. I don't want this to be a total gushing um, episode. I'll leave that to, right. to private just, times. Just um, wait till the Amber Heard episodes. It's fine. It's fine. Exactly. If if I'm gonna go on and on about him, you can go on and on about her, and I will sit here very quietly and um, in a non-judgmental um, fashion. And well, Catherine McNamara too, because Catherine McNamara is another beautiful woman. Yeah, they've got. So. Uh, and I mean, it's a beautiful cast. Beautiful yeah. cast of people, for sure. Um, thanks, guys. That was some good feedback. Um, I think we had a couple there from Twitter, too. Yeah, we do. Uh, this one comes from uh, our friend Des. I liked it, but I don't like the jumping back and forth in time. The original, by the end of the first episode, you had met pretty much all the main players. This is fine with people who are fans of the original and the book, but new watchers may be left confused. My daughter, dot, dot, dot. Uh, oh, he just, for uh, some reason, it broke up. My daughter had no idea what was going on. I think they've done a great job with the casting, but Stu seems to get younger with each interpretation. <laughs> this is only the um, second interpretation. <laughs> That's... Well, um, I don't know how many people know this, but I'm pretty sure James Marsden's 43. I think he's older than Gary Sinise was when he played the part. I mean, I, I'd have to go back and look. I, it, it's quite possible. Um but I mean, it's James Marsden, so I think he gets a pass. I don't think he really looks forty three, so it, it. But um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he's forty three. Yeah, I mean, and to, and to your point, as like you said, by the the end of the first episode of the original, you had pretty much all, met all the main players. Yes, like I mentioned earlier, that's something that's just not possible when your first 
episode is only 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to get enough time to reveal. All. Those characters are not going to get enough face time that, to the point where you're even going to feel anything for them at that point. Exactly. I agree. Um, our good friend Wendy Eppers also chimed in um, after Des, and she says, I thought James Marsden was the strongest of the characters slash acting. I agree with Des, didn't like the jumping around in the timeline, thought some of the dialogue or acting was spotty, hoping it's just getting off to a rocky start and we'll get better. Yeah, like I said, Wendy, stick with it. <laughs> just, that's my advice to anybody at this point, just stick with it. It's, it's yeah. episode one. Yeah, absolutely. Stick it out. If by if by episode five or six you're not happy, keep listening to the podcast. But I will apologize to you on the podcast. Yeah, uh, and you know sometimes uh, we can kind of bring people around. Sometimes give them a little bit di- different perspective, and it helps a little bit. You know, we've heard that before. I don't know mm-hmm. other people hear that on their podcasts. That like you know I wasn't so sure about the show, wasn't so sure about the episode, and then I listened to you guys, and you turned me around. So um, maybe that helps. Let us know if it does. Yeah, um, for sure. We also got a couple of voice messages this week. Our first one that we have is from our good friend, Greg. Your blood is in my fist, mother. Hey, Ben, Raymond. Uh, it's Greg calling about that first episode of The Stand. And as someone who is very familiar with the story and, and all that, uh, who enjoyed the first one back in the 90s, um, and loved the book as a kid. Like, I thought this was fucking fantastic. Um, like, I liked some of the, kind of the changes. I I don't mind the, uh, kind of the, the forward and backwards and whatnot um, <clears throat> that I've seen people kind of complain about or talk about or whatever. But I thought that it was very well done. And I have to say that I really enjoyed uh hamish linklater's character uh, i'd only ever seen him in the crazy ones but he was so good and i i loved him and his character uh in this um i i definitely liked how they uh, kind of took some scenes from i mean yes from the book and then kind of basic but then from the first miniseries and basically just kind of basically did them better and made them less either sappy or more realistic or more gritty. Uh, like, I, I didn't know how CBS All Access was going to be, but I really enjoyed the, the production quality. Um, and then the I was wondering who the, uh, the general at the end was going to be, but J.K. Simmons is always one of my favorites. Uh, the, I'm not typically a big fan of James Marsden, but uh, I really liked his go as, as Stu Redman so far. Uh, we'll see how it uh, how it turns out uh, in the future, and the walking dude. I mean, just it, Alexander Skarsgård didn't even have to say a word, and he is embodying Randall Flag already. Uh, I also like the 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 concept of him allowing for the disease to spread, um, and like the the fact that it was all engineered by him at least opening the door literally and uh letting poor human choices uh make the decisions for the rest of the human race all right sorry so long all right so look forward to the podcast later 
Thanks, Greg. That was great. That was awesome. <laughs> he was very enthusiastic. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad there. I'm glad people out there are as excited about this as as we still are, and 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 enjoyed the episode like we did. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I hope it sticks. I hope it sticks. Sometimes, uh, you know, they can start out really well. You enjoy them, and sometimes they have a hard time sticking that landing. But I'm going to remain hopeful until they prove me wrong. Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah, that was great, Greg. Thank you so much for that enthusiastic uh, voice message. Um, good to know that you're on board with us. Look forward to hearing from you. Um, throughout the rest of the the series. Absolutely. Um, We also have another voice message from our good friend, Steve Brown. Hey, Reem and Ben, this is Steve, and this is for the first episode of CBS All Access is The Stand. Um, Interesting uh, way of telling the story. I was confused at first. When I first started watching, I thought I'd come in the middle or something, and so I actually backed out of it and started it again and was like, oh, this is the beginning. Okay, and uh, so I'm not sure. I, I kind of I hope they don't continue this. I hope they they get us to Boulder pretty quick and and progress the story forward because this is going to be confusing for me at least. Uh, this back and forth kind of thing, but maybe they're going to do it as they introduce each of the characters, a couple characters a week or something. I'm not sure, um, but. Uh, so yeah, um, I like I like James Marston as Stu. I think he's um, it looks like he's going to be good. We need to see some more of his interaction with the others. Um, what was the creepy little kid in the cornfield? Was that all about? That's going to have to be explained. Um, Daniel Sanjata, loved seeing him uh, in this. It was it was cool. J.K. Simmons, you know, uh, just like in the earlier uh, miniseries, we're getting kind of these cameos in this first episode that we uh that we weren't aware of and uh so finally the dreams it looks like uh, we're getting different types of dreams and different dreams from different people so it's it's uh, another interesting seeing uh, thing to see as the season progresses okay uh can't wait to hear you guys discuss it there's some other things that i was confused about and hopefully maybe you'll uh, you'll clear them up or maybe you won't uh all right talk to you later Thanks, Steve. I hope I hope we cleared it up for you, whatever it was. <laughs> or maybe we won't. <laughs> or maybe fine. we won't. <laughs> Still sitting there thinking about what happened, and you're confused. So sorry. <laughs> I I think the um he brought up a good question about what was the kid in the cornfield, and I think that was during Franny's dream. Yeah, there were kids was, laughing. It, yeah, the kids laughing. I think that was basically just to appeal to her because she's pregnant. So I, I, I think agree. that was kind of just a tie in to her character. She's pregnant at the time, so they use children to kind of keep her interested. It, it's I a agree. little creepy that the kids were running around in the background like children of the corn, but. Exactly. I mean, maybe I don't know that that was uh, kind of intended as a, a you know, a tie in or anything to like children of the corn. But I mean, I've mentioned countless times how creepy I find cornfields and especially children around <laughs> cornfields because of children of the corn. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it was just uh, like a precognition kind of thing because she's pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And to lure her to the cornfield to um, meet mother Abigail for her to tell her to come to her. So I agree. I think that's all yeah. that it was, but exactly. I could be wrong. No, I, I think I think that's pretty spot on. I, I think that's probably what it is. Well, hopefully that helps, Steve. 
Um, thank you, everyone, for the feedback. I know lots of mixed opinions in our feedback, just like what we were reading online as well. So um, hope you guys you know stick with us. But thank you so much for contributing to the podcast and let us know what you think of it. Even if you don't like it, it's okay. I want to hear those other opinions. I mean, you know, that's that's what it's all about. It doesn't have to be. Um, you know, if you don't love it, uh, don't feel like you can't write in and let us know what you fa- what you found. Um, you know, uh, that you didn't like so much. So thanks. Yeah, I. I, I like mixed feedback. I don't like I, it. It's boring if everybody agrees 100% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely keep watching. And if you don't like it, say something. Yeah. Feel free you know? to, to let us know why you don't. Um, we, we might even agree with you on that one. Who knows? <laughs> you might change our minds. <laughs> might change our mind. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. Um, well, so next week, uh, we are going to be covering episode two, which is titled Pocket Savior. Which is a reference to Larry Underwood. It is the It is the album, uh, it is the title of the album in which his single, uh, Baby Can You Dig Your Man, is on. Nice. So we're definitely getting a, a Larry Underwood story next week. And as I mentioned, most likely means we're getting Rita as well. And... Um, I don't know if that means we're going to get Nadine, but I I think it's a strong possibility we'll probably get Nadine as well. I think it's I think it's a safe assumption. Do we yeah. uh, for sure? Who knows? But I think it's a safe assumption um, that 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 she'll be in there too, at least or maybe at least introduced, if not uh, for for most of the episode. So um, so yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Larry's a big up uh, a big character um, in the story as well. So um, excited to get his introduction as well and just get more of the story. So, yeah, same. Can't wait. Hope you guys are with us. Um, but until then, we are excited for you to travel to the Boulder Free Zone with us. But until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Strange TCast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Stranger TCast. You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts at podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, speaking of um, podcasts on Podcastica, some other things that might interest folks. So The Mandalorian Season 2 just wrapped up. And Ben, you and I, just before we started recording, we're chatting (laughs) about that because it was an amazing finale, which we will not talk about or go into in case you haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But please... Um, if you haven't watched the series, go watch it. If you haven't yet watched the finale, go watch it and stay off social media until you do, because uh, holy spoilers, Batman. Um, <laughs> and then make sure that after you watch, you go check out Jason and Chris and Rich on House Podcastica for their coverage of The Mandalorian Season 2. They do a great job um, uh, of discussing that show every week. So definitely make sure you check them out. Yeah, and I and I think Jason's exact words on that uh, House Podcastic episode, um, if I remember correctly, are "It was fucking awesome." <laughs> I feel that's pretty damn accurate. <laughs> I, I think those were his exact words when describing the season two finale. I I have no doubt those were his exact words. I haven't had a chance to listen yet, and, and um, I and I agree one hundred percent. I agree one hundred percent. I barely have the words really, so so yeah. Um, be sure to to check them out, and um, be sure to also check out Ben and all of his amazing podcasts on NextLevelRadioOnline.com. Yes, 
I'd appreciate it. Yeah, you can find all of his content and all of his podcasts and all of the projects that Ben has because he's juggling a lot of projects and has a lot going on. So check him out um, there on his website. Yes, indeed. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Ben. And Sheldon Scott is strange indeed.